I want to welcome everyone to this meeting here today, the Agape Christian Fellowship meeting, and I am Lynn Hardy. Lord has sent me with a message. Though the title of this message is Peter's Anointing, God's Mercy and Healing, that's not the fullness of what we're, we will cover today. We're going to talk about the hierarchy of heaven. We're going to talk about some deeper things of God. So let's begin and get started. Receiving wisdom from above. We thank you, Father, for being here with us. We ask for your wisdom today and not man's. Holy Spirit, we thank you for preparing every heart and every mind to receive what is from God. Now, before I really understood the principles of God being just, I really thought, I really believed that everyone who sought God with their whole heart, everyone who learned his ways would walk as Peter did once God's glory was being poured out. Many people desire to walk in the anointing of the disciples, like in the book of Acts, especially Peter's anointing, who healed all who came within a shadow's distance of him. That's like five to 10 feet. They got that close, God's anointing hit, and they were healed. How many of us as Christians desire for that to be, for God's glory to be shown and, and people to be relieved of suffering? That was the cry of my heart. And indeed, we are now in the time of God's outpouring, his glory. And there is a time coming where the true disciples of the Lord will once again walk in his power and his glory, as they did in the book of Acts. In our last meeting, when I read the words of the scripture, the Holy Spirit said, that that, what, what, what this is, what this verse is about. So we were reading Revelation 8, verse 4 and 5. And the smoke of the incense, which came from the prayers of the saints, ascended up before God and out of the angel's hand. And the angel took the censer and filled it with fire of the altar and cast it into the earth. And there were voices and thunder and lightning and an earthquake. We know that this happens because of our studies after Satan is kicked out of heaven. He's finally removed and cast down to the earth. He can no longer bring charges against God's saints night and day. We also know that an earthquake had just shaken the world and that Christians were crying out in prayer to the heavenly father. Well, this shows what happens when those prayers are received at his throne. There's no more hindrance from him who bring charge, brings charges against us. The fire from the altar of the altar is the cleansing power of God. Often fire in scripture, it, it's something that cleanses and purifies us. So this cleansing fire will purify the bride of Christ. We see God's voice thundering in the life of Jesus. John 12, 27 verses, or 12 verses 27 to 29, and this is in the English Standard Version. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and will glorify it again. And the crowd that stood there heard it. And they said that it thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. Many thought it was the voice of an angel, but others only heard thunder when God spoke about his son. This was when Jesus was being empowered to accomplish all that God had him to do. In scripture, lightning is a display of God's power, which impacts the earth. This power will flow through 
God's children as it did in the time of Acts. The earth will be moved as his people begin walking in the fullness of his power. To understand what exactly this means, God brought me on into a very special visit with him in heaven. Now, the day didn't start off so well. I had sought the Lord after reading the word, word for a while. It was a whole hour, and I did not enter into the secret place or a vision with the Lord as is normal. So again, in the afternoon, when I had a few minutes, I sought him once more. This time, I was instantly before him. I threw my arms around his neck, and I gave him a big squeeze, whispering, my love, I have missed you so much. I would just be in here all the time if I could. The Lord hoisted me over his head. And now I'm going to give you the words that were exchanged as close as I can recall. Lately, when I enter into visions with the Lord, everything rhymes. And I have to spend time with the Lord and ask the Holy Spirit to bring them back because at the time the rhymes just flow and amaze me. And then later I have to recall them with the help of the counselor. So I'm going to give you the closest version I can come up with. So the Lord picked me up and hoisted me over his head and spun me around and then sat me down facing away from him. He said, I'm glad you've come, come dear heart of mine. You have arrived just in time. They have come from close and far, gathered here at my call. He sat me down facing the crowd. It was gathered outside the gazebo at my heavenly, heavenly home. They have come from close and far, gathered here at my call to help you get into your wedding dress. This was the first time I have ever seen another human being in a heavenly visit, much less in a crowd. You see, we're not, we're, we're not supposed to seek our ancestors. We're not supposed to seek to speak with other humans. That's ancestral worship and it's not right. So I'd never sought to see anyone in heaven other than the Lord. I thought to myself, why do I need help getting into my wedding gown? So I turned back to the Lord and demanded, demanded, wait a minute, do you confess that Jesus the Christ has come in the flesh? That's the way you test a spirit. He smiled and he answered, yes, I do. Now come and see who's been waiting here for thee. I began to focus on one person at a time. Though each person appeared to be around the age of 30, uh, there was a couple of small kids there too. When I focused on the person, I instantly knew who they were. It was like a hologram extended around them and it displayed them as they were on earth. So the very first person I spoke with was my mother-in-law and her husband. Now I had never met her husband. Um, it's my, uh, my husband's father who died when she was six months pregnant with him. So I approached her and I asked, have you been testifying for me in the courts of heaven? I was wanting confirmation of what I had believed the Holy Spirit had, had revealed to me after she passed away. And she nodded and said, yes, I have, and I will do so again. Now, I want to explain that there's a difference between interceding and testifying. So I don't know if our relatives can intercede for us because of what happened with the rich man and Lazarus. In Luke 16, verses 27 through 29, and this is in the American King James Version, it says, Then he said, I pray you, therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may testify to them, lest they also come into this place of torment. And Abraham said to him, being the rich man, not Lazarus, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. So when the rich man had died, he wound up in purgatory and not the good place. There's the Elysian fields where the good people went. And then there was purgatory where bad people went. And maybe it's all part of purgatory. I'm not too familiar with, the, with their concepts. 
Um, and so the rich man wanted help to be sent to his brothers. He was trying to intercede for them. And the answer was no. Now I realize that he was in the bad place. So he wasn't righteous before God. However, would the answer be the same, no matter who asked it? For this reason, I'm really not sure if those in heaven can intercede for us. However, in the Bible, there is a mention of a great cloud of witnesses concerning Christians. Hebrews 12, verse 1 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings to us closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So there is a great cloud of witnesses. Well, witnesses testify. We know that God is a just judge and that there is a court in heaven. Perhaps this is why we are told to do good and walk in love. Our actions here on earth may be used to give testimony for us against the accusations of the enemy in the courts of heaven. And this seemed to be, con to be confirmed by this visit. Now, I talked to a few other people who had some nice things to say. And I said a brief hello to my husband's grandmother, who I was knew here pretty well in this, in this life. Before I began focusing on a particular man, his identity shocked me. You see, I did not expect to see my, my mother's grand, my mother's father there. Ray served in the Navy and he watched as the first atom bomb testing was done in World War II. In his fifties, he was diagnosed with seven types of cancer from the waist up, go figure. He was standing aboard a na Naval ship and that's where the cancer hit him. Now, Ray was a Catholic. He was not encouraged to read the Bible in those days. They were not encouraged to read the Bible. But Ray knew enough about God to realize he was in big trouble. So as he lay there dying, I think he did some deep soul searching. He gave his fortune. He had made a fortune buying and selling. And the family was well aware of some indiscretions and some sins which have been confessed and pled under their blood. So I won't mention it today. But when he realized he was dying, he gave his fortune to the Catholic Church. He left barely enough to, for his families to survive on. I always thought that you could not buy your way into heaven. And it was a shock to see my grandfather there. I noticed that he was dressed in plain clothes and there were very few among the crowd up front who were dressed in white. So I sent a thought towards my Lord and I said, my love, why are some dressed in white and others dressed in their own might? The answer came into my thoughts. Some are guests and those who are in white are the bride. What? I was so shocked. I was like, there are wedding guests here in heaven right now. I, I know I had this question a while back and we talked about it and I didn't have an answer for you. I was so startled by this intense revelation that there were some people right now in heaven who would only be wedding guests. They were not clothed in the white gown of the bride that I demanded once again, <laughs> charged over to him and said, do you confess that Jesus the Christ has come in the flesh. Well, actually, I said, there are guests in heaven where they abide who are not part of the bride. Do you confess that Jesus the Christ has come in the flesh? He didn't even sigh. <laughs> so I wasn't on, wasn't on his last nerve yet, so to speak. He said, yes, I do. And it is me. What else do you want from me to say to thee? Remember the thief upon the cross merely acknowledged me and was not lost. The story of the thief is very, a very popular one. And yes, I'm indeed familiar with it. So this would not count as a confirmation, a confirmation that I was actually speaking to the Lord. And this was not a vain imagination. But most of you 
do you remember the story of the thief who hung on the cross next to Jesus? He was a thief. He was condemned to die. And he merely said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And the Lord replied, today you will dine with me in paradise. I was not as patient as the Lord was. I sighed very deeply at this point. <laughs> and I asked, but it seemed he knew I must. I said, I'm so very sorry and don't wish to offend, but I must have a verse to fully comprehend. I will not go on with what may be in vain. So tell me now and make it plain. You see, I was asking him to verify what he was revealing in a scripture I was not familiar with. I wanted him to give me a chapter and a verse so I could go look it up and, and know that this was true. My mind was in such turmoil with everything that was going on that it came slowly, one little piece at a time. It's Luke. And then it was 14 or 14. And then it was 17. It was so slow. And I said, I'm so sorry, my love, but I'll be right back. I must take a moment to see if this is a fact. I reached for my phone that was next to me. I pulled up Luke and, and chapter, four, chapter 14, verse 17. And I, I was thinking to myself, Lord, if this doesn't line up, I am going to be so, so disappointed in myself, in, this, in my own mind. And so here is Luke 14, 17. And at that time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, now come for everything is ready. Now, many people relate to this parable of the Lord of the banquet to the wedding feast and those who are called to attend as wedding guests. Well, this, I think, confirmed very nicely that what I was seeing in my imagination was true because I really wasn't sure if Luke had a 14 and 17 verses there. I, I do not have scripture memorized and I kind of thank God for this fact because he can use it to verify things to me in the secret place. So I closed my eyes again and could instantly see the Lord before me. I said, I thank you for your patience, kindness, and love too. I now see that this is true. I turned towards a crowd of, of, speak, of people speaking loudly. And I don't really rhyme when I talk to them. And I said, thank you for coming. I appreciate your support. I hope to see you again when I'm back for good. I waved goodbye and then turned back to the Lord and sat down next to him. I said, thank you for gathering them today. I'm sorry, I don't have much to say. On earth, they didn't mean much to me. It is you that I long to see. Glancing back, the crowd was turning to leave, and a figure strode forth. It was an old high school friend. He had died in his 40s. The Lord had sent me to pray for him as he lay in a hospital bed. Tears rolled down his cheeks as I spoke the words that Jesus gave to me. Unfortunately, his lifelong flame was there at the time. When I left, she spoke against the healing prayer, claiming surgery would be the answer. He died later that year. I ran to him, unsure of what to say. And I said, I'm so sorry to see that prayer didn't take, but I'm glad to see you here and that you have a place. He smiled. He said, my heart was touched with love, love through the words of your prayer. It's what I needed to hear, to make it here. Tears rolled down my cheek because this, I was told, was part of my final test. The Holy Spirit was very clear. I was in a time of testing before I was released into ministry, and I was sent here to pray for him. And I thought somehow I had failed. Even though Jesus said I passed the test, I thought it might be through the skin of my teeth because he died despite the prayer. He interrupted my 
turmoil of thoughts. And he said, hey, have you decided what path you're going to take? As his question came forth, so did a picture of three paths going in different directions. And I saw, I said, I didn't know I was making one. I mumbled the words, trying to get a hold of my emotions. As you can see, a week later, it's still hard for me. I whispered, I'm sorry, I'm still in a body of flesh. This is very hard for me. Nodding with understanding, he replied, I will come back when you're living here. In heaven, when you're there, whatever you're thinking just comes forth, especially if it has deep emotions with it. So words spilled forth, tinged with pain. And I said, surely you wouldn't, res you wouldn't rather visit with your old flame, that soulmate. He shrugged off the negative emotions, the snark in my voice. He said, here, there is a lot of time to visit with all those you once knew. Giving a quick nod of recognition, I raced back to the Lord. I wanted nothing more. <laughs> I said, does he have to come and visit me? Why can't he just let it be? <laughs> I was in a whiny state that day. Emotions ran fast through me. The Lord said, many will come from far and wide to spend a moment by your side. I sighed, shaking my head. Can't I just go and hide? Coming to see me, I don't see why. Jesus kissed me on the forehead. That is why I chose you. You see it the way that is true. The mention of choosing caused me to ask, so what is this choice that I need to make? Is there a path I have to take? Jesus begins explaining about the different avenues in front of me. You've asked for healing to remain in place until you finish the race. Complete healing I can bring to you, but the end will have much suffering too. I saw that as one path. Then I saw on the opposite side, another path. And he said, if you continue as you are right now, then the end will come painless somehow. And then the middle path was highlighted. And he said, I can guide a doctor's hand to ease a burden as it stands. This is the middle path, which can lead to this or that. In other words, the first or the third path. Talk rattled through my thoughts. It was so hard to focus. The Bible tells us that the disciples walked in a level of God's power that hasn't been seen since they died. Until now, I didn't really comprehend that perhaps their level of grace and power was connected to the way they suffered. But quickly, the Holy Spirit made all the connections in my mind and he also brought this to me. I had made two conflicting requests from the Lord. I had asked and been petitioning. I know the day of my death. I know when it will come and it'll be poured out for him. And I asked that it be painless and quick. I entered the courts about a week ago before I had this vision. And I petitioned the judge for grace and mercy. I asked to be fully healed from head to toe to be restored and walk in health and strength until my death. So these two things were in conflict. And now I was given a choice. The first question that came to mind is why? Why do I have to choose? Couldn't the grace and mercy extend to the end of my life? But I was reminded that God is just and he decides who to give mercy to and when. Here's the scripture, Romans 9, 14, verses 18, 14 and 18. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on him whom I have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it, stand, so then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. 
For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this purpose, I have raised you up that I might show my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So he has mercy on whomever he wills and he hardens whomever he wills. God is just. He has a plan. He decides who to give mercy to and when. He's just. We also have an enemy who gets a turn. We'll talk about that later. <laughs> so knowing all these things and having it clearly point out, pointed out by the Holy Spirit that this was all linked to how the disciples walked in the book of Acts, I said this, here was my answer about which path I would take. Before I tell you my choice, what is yours? You were offered this choice to walk in God's grace and the fullness of his mercy, to be healed from head to toe. I know there are many of you who have minor things that you'd like to be healed of. Some, they're major things. What would your choice be? Mercy now or mercy later? Now, I'm not saying that that is a choice all have to make because it depends on your, your job and your destiny with God, which we'll turn, we'll, we'll talk about. Okay, so here's my response. I said, my choice would be to walk as I am now to avoid that pain at the end somehow. But my Lord, if I need healing to come to do the job until it is done, if more will become your bride through the, the, this, through the display of glory and stand by your side, I choose to be made whole and to stand in grace despite the pain at the end of the race. Only you, Lord, know what each path will do. So I hand this choice back to you. As you have said, so do I. Not my will, but thine. Only you truly know if healing will cause your glory to be shown. If the healing is just for me, I choose at the end to be pain-free. That is my response to my Lord. So now let's talk about the fullness of this vision. That was the end of my, my visit there. I had to get to work on ministry things. So there was this whole wedding dress episode and I completely forgot what the point of that visit was, the emotional impact of seeing somebody who did in fact mean something to me and had been lost. Wow, it, the, it just took time. It took time for me to figure out and to let it let the Holy Spirit take me through each thing. Eventually, I began to process how the crowd had helped me to be gowned in my wedding dress. There was a common thread concerning those who I spoke to, those right up front. In the book, it's free on our website. It says, it's the book, Angels Believe in You, the book of my walk and my journey. I share the account of my final test before being commissioned by God. A lot of miraculous things happened in that event. However, I was sent to pray for two people to minister to them and pray for them. One was my mother-in-law and the other was a high school friend. I prayed for two people and both died within the year. Until this point, a piece of me had really thought I had scored very low on his test. I had just barely passed. But now after this visit, I realized that perhaps the prayer hadn't failed, but actually accomplished what the Lord intended. He knew what would happen with each case. And there's a common, common thread between both of them. I asked, or both people asked me during the visit, you have changed so much. How did you come to have such faith in the Lord? I really didn't know what to say. It took me off guard. I just said, I spent time learning about who Jesus is. Now, these responses, these questions by these people who were there present to help me into my wedding gown, they kind of show what my calling is. 
what God has equipped me to do. I am not called to have the anointing of Peter so that every person who comes near me is healed. I am called to help others see Jesus, to help them put their hands in his. My gift is just to reveal the love of the Lord through the relationship I have with him and to show his love to those around me, to prepare them to meet with him in the secret place, to become part of his bride, to walk in their destiny that, for which they've been created. That is my destiny with the Lord. That's what I'm supposed to be doing right now. When I look at the words the Lord spoke to me, that's the one thing. When you have a face-to-face -face with the Lord, if you are so blessed, and if you do make it that far, walking and removing the enemy and walking closer to him, you have to listen to exactly what he says. You cannot add anything to it. At first, I thought, oh, well, maybe if I'm totally healed, everybody else will be totally healed. I'll walk in the anointing of Peter. But that wasn't what the Lord said. He didn't say that, that that third path where I would end in pain and suffering, I would receive Peter's anointing. He said, I would be healed. So I have to listen to what he says and know that the healing was just meant for me. Now, this doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit does not work through me and will not work through you and other Christians with a gift of healing through prayer. The Holy Spirit, you deepen your relationship with the Lord. That's what I'm here to help you with and learn to hear from the Holy Spirit. Pray as he tells you to listen, you know, receive from him. And yes, there is the gift of healing that comes through the Holy Spirit, but it's through prayer. It isn't like it was with Peter that was instantaneous as soon as they got close to him. We also see that many are healed through the teachings of the Courts of Heaven Academy as they remove the enemy from their lives and apply what God's knowledge is that they can become healed without prayer. So it's through the teachings, through the wisdom that God brings, through prayer for others, but it's not a Peter anointing. And, and that may be for many Christians. You have to learn how to hear from the Holy Spirit about what he wants you to do in every situation. And then God's glory can be displayed as people are healed. Now, there's more to learn from each of those I prayed for. So I'm going to take you a little bit into my life here. <laughs> uh -huh. So my relationship with my mother-in-law was not, was pretty typical. Let's say, let's see, okay. It was pretty typical. The mother-in-law, if you're not familiar with that term, it's your husband's mother. Through the years, I had left her home in tears so many times that my husband forbade me to bring the grandkids to visit her without him. I was very tenderhearted in my younger days. So my husband was not happy when I was felt led by the Lord to go and minister to her when she was bedridden, when she was close to the end of her, her days. But he allowed me to do what I felt I must. So in Luke 6, verses 27 and 28, it says, But I say to you which hear, love your enemies, do good to them which hate you, bless them that curse you, and pray for them which spitefully use you. You see, God had a reason for sending me there. He has a reason for what he says in his word. And I think the reason for this verse it's because when you do these things, when you love your enemies, when you pray, when you do good for them that hate you, when you bless them that curse you, when you pray for those who spitefully use you, you when you follow these instructions by our God, then they will be called to give testimony for you in the courts of heaven. So more grace can be extended. You see, the enemy comes in the courts of heaven with charges saying, I accuse them of this, that, and the other thing. But then the witnesses come and say, but for me, they extended this grace. They did this. They did that. And then the judge gets to dismiss certain charges against you. Look at that. This is the reason we are, we're supposed to do good to those who, who hate us. So what else did I learn from that high school friend? This is a hard one. On the way to the hospital, and this is in the book, 
angels believe in you. I, I won't repeat the exact situation here, but on the way, I prayed for my, I, I asked the Lord, I knew better than just to go barge in. I asked the Lord, can I pray for him to be healed? In a clear vision, the Lord said, show my love to him. Show my love to him. I figured that meant praying for healing. And I asked the Lord to give me his heart, his heart. Because at the time that old flame had, had kind of come between us and um, I was not the most compassionate in my heart towards him. <laughs> and so I had to ask, I hadn't seen him in, you know, 20 years. So I had to ask the Lord, you know, to give me his heart for this person. And so I could show him his heart. So the love of the Lord for my friend was just deposited in me and I could feel it the whole time. And then when I prayed, the Lord's presence filled the room. But besides the tears that rolled down from his eyes, there was no visible sign that God's will had been done. I figured the visible sign would be that he was instantly healed, that that would be God's love. Because my goal, the goal that I had in mind, what I thought would happen, because that dominated my thoughts for years afterwards, I was a little tortured thinking that I had failed somehow. I had done something wrong. We must always remember that God has a plan. We need to listen to what he says. And we may not see how our actions are used by him. This at times may challenge our faith. When we pray for someone, someone and don't see the results we want. So I hope that you will consider that the words, your words, prayed and and spoken and filled with his love may be more important than an instant miracle of healing. Okay, now let's talk a little bit more about Peter's anointing. What does this reveal about Peter's anointing and why? Every Christian should remember there were thousands of new Christians, on-fire Christians, and there, were only, there was only one Peter. There were 12 disciples, but only one person who's, who had such an anointing of God that everyone who came within 10 feet of him was healed. There are many types of mantles. You can also refer to that as anointings. There are some for healing. There are some for wisdom. There are some for prophecy. And there's even one for a revelation of God and heavenly visits. Only Jesus operated in the fullness of every type of mantle or anointing. All were healed through him. He saw what the father was doing in heaven. He visited God with heaven. He was the greatest prophet who ever lived. He had all wisdom. Only Jesus, only Jesus had all of these. The rest were dispersed among his disciples. For the rest of mankind, they only operated in some of those aspects. John, the one whom Jesus loved, prophesied in the book of Revelation. He saw into heaven and gave a prophecy. Paul also visited heaven and revealed the wisdom of God and taught so much. We record like half of the New Testament Paul wrote. Now, John the Baptist helped draw people back to God to ready them for the coming of the Lord. But it says that he didn't do many miracles like Jesus did. How many Christians will operate in Peter's anointing in the coming, coming years? Only God knows. It's not up to, uh, up to us to decide what we operate in, what we're equipped with. That's God. He's the one who decides. When the Lord spoke to me about those three paths, I instantly to my mind came the information of how people who walked, the disciples who walked in his power and glory, how they had suffered. Remember, Peter was crucified upside down because he didn't think he, he deserved the honor of being like his Lord, crucified right side up. Paul was beaten and stoned and shipwrecked. John whom Jesus loved, it is said in historical texts that he was boiled in oil. 
these disciples who demonstrated God's power so wonderfully, right? Why did they suffer so much? It is because God is fair and just. You teach about this in the academy. God is fair and he has a system in place upon the earth. There are rules there are, that he must, himself must abide by. So when he moves, the enemy also gets a chance to test us to see if we'll deny God. This can be clearly seen in, in the Bible. The more of God's power and glory flows through our life, the bigger the time of te testing will come. And some will include physical pain. Now, the Lord himself was tested and suffered. Remember, in the desert, Satan tested him three times. And then he said, Satan said, or it said that Satan came back at a more opportune time. If we examine the scriptures, we can see when that happened. You see, Jesus hung on the cross and he was in great pain and suffering. And the voice of the enemy can be seen in the crowd around him. Mark 15, verses 29 and 32 Ah, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself, come down off that cross. So the chief priests and the scribes mocked him to one another saying, he saved others, he cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down off that cross that we may believe. Now compare this to what Satan said in the desert. Why Satan said, if you are the son of God, turn the stone into bread, or cast yourself down from this high place and let God save you. He was tempted, tempting Jesus to fulfill his own needs or glorify himself um, through God's power. And the crowd said, if you are the king of Israel, if you are this Messiah, if you are the Christ, well, come down here and save yourself. Also, Satan offered Jesus power over the whole world. The crowd said, come down and show that you are powerful enough to rebuild the temple in three days. These tactics are the same. And it came at a time when Jesus was suffering. What more opportune hour could there be? Remember, Jesus actually said to those who were doing this to him, forgive them, Father. They don't know what they were doing. You see, they were just tools of the enemy that was Satan speaking through them. They didn't know it. They didn't know that they were doing Satan's bidding. Our Lord suffered, as did all his disciples. How many times have you heard this scripture quoted to appropriate God's power? Here in his love made perfect with us that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, even so are we in this world. As he is in this world, so are we. Then John 15, verse 20, remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, will they also persecute, or, or they will also persecute you. Look at that. Okay. So if you want to walk in the power of our Lord and do greater things than he did, well, they persecuted him, they will persecute you as well. We often forget that when we quote the verse about being as he is in this world, wanting to walk in glory and the power of God for God's glory, that there sometimes is a price to pay. This is also supported in the book of Revelation. We've already covered this. So I'm going to add, put this in here so you can make the connection. Revelation 12, verses 16 and 17. And the earth helped the woman, and the woman opened up her mouth and swallowed up the flood, which the dragon cast out of his mouth. And the dragon was wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. You see, there is coming a time when, when the enemy is going to be cast down to the earth, and then that's right before this scripture. And then he goes after Israel, the woman. He goes after those and tries to kill her. But she escapes. So he goes after Christians. So God's people, Israel, will escape the wrath of the Antichrist. And then he will pursue Christians. 
those who were empowered through that outpouring we mentioned at the beginning, when, when prayers go up and God pours out his power through his people, well, now the enemy is going to spot them. Those doing major exploits, exploits and incurring the wrath of God may attract that attention from the enemy and endure pain and suffering at the end. This is something we need to contemplate as we seek to walk in God's glory as the disciples did. Are you willing to pay the price they did? We are coming up to a time. You will see the day when the Antichrist stands in the temple declaring himself God. All but John died a martyr's death by crucifixion, stoning, clubbing, stabbing, burning, all kinds of horrible things. There is a price that comes with God's glory. Our Father created each one of us with a specific destiny and a job for us to do. He knows who will be ready to stand in faith in faith, in face of torture, and who knows what. I hope you will spend time releasing your desires, your ideas of what you should be doing, what you should be empowered to do, what what you should receive from God, and understand that he knows what is best. He knows what is best for your life. Surrender it all to him. Get rid of all the preconceived notions you have. While we're on that topic, let's talk about healing and perfect health. Remember, I asked for that. I am not walking in it. I have some minor things that would make my life a lot easier, especially like the removal of these glasses. You know what a pain it is to have to search for these every time I want to read something? The word world gets all blurry. It is not any fun wearing glasses. Can I still do the job with wearing glasses? I can. I didn't want to. I was looking for God's to perfect health and healing. How many of you have little minor things you would like to see done, done with God's glory? Well, this is the outpouring. God's glory abounds. If you have sought God's grace and mercy and hope to walk in perfect health and are struggling to receive what you desire, I hope you will consider God might be asking you to walk in faith now as you are so you can receive greater grace and mercy at a, in a time of need. Because as you walk through not receiving that which you seek, that which the enemy has no right to keep you from, as you continue on, you're kind of like building up this, this account with God of, yes, they remain faithful through the hard time. They remain faithful when they didn't get what they want. Our Father is all-knowing. He has a plan. We may not know it. We may not see it. We need to continue learning his ways to make sure that there's no sin blocking our healing, allowing the enemy to afflict us. So we don't want to give up on healing. We want to continue learning God's ways, applying them to our lives, asking the Holy Spirit if there's anything blocking our healing. But we must also consider that it will come when, when or if he chooses. Our love for Jesus, our faith in God should not depend upon walking in perfect health. There may be a price for that perfection, which you are unwilling to pay. Or baby, even unable. God knows. I don't. Okay, so (laughs) I know this is a long meeting. Thank you guys for hanging in there. (laughs) The longest one we've had in a while. But I didn't want to end today without talking to you about heaven's hierarchy. The other thing that was perfectly clear was that there were the bride and then there were also wedding guests. And so there's a hierarchy in heaven. And I wanted you to kind of see that through this vision from God. Our father is orderly. He is not chaotic. And heaven is orderly. It operates under different principles than earth. But there are rules in effect, which he has to abide by. In the Secret Place course at the Courts of Heaven Academy, it's being developed now. It may even be released by the time you finally watch this. (laughs) Um, We go into great detail about how the Lord revealed 
what your abilities in heaven will be like when you arrive. This visit with Jesus just gave us a few additional details I wanted to, to share with you. We are saved and receive eternal life through confessing that Jesus is Lord. It doesn't say we become the bride by doing so. It seems that if we make an effort, the best way we know how, even if it isn't right, remember Ray gave all his money to the church because he thought that's, he was told that's what he had to do. It was an act of faith. It was an act of repentance, knowing he was sorry. So even if it's not completely right, it seems, even if it's at the very end, it still counts. Your loved ones will still be in heaven. And as I said, there's a difference between this and being part of the bride of Christ. John 14, 21 in the ESV, it says, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by the father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. John 14, 15 says, and if you love me, you will keep my commandments. You see, we often think of love as a feeling in our heart. Oh, I really care for Jesus. He is so awesome. I love him. But love isn't just a feeling. When you love somebody, you are devoted to them. You want to do what makes them happy, what brings them joy. The bride are those who love Jesus and who endeavor to do what he wants them to do. At a later date, as we continue exploring Revelations, we'll explore this in more detail, but we're just going to touch upon it here. Revelation 19, verse 7 and 8 says, Let us re rejoice and exalt and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine li linen, bright and pure. The fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. You see, when you love somebody, you do your work for them. So there are righteous deeds, something that we must do so that we earn our place as a bride of Christ. Now, remember, there's also bright and pure. So there's linen and there's bright and pure. Bright and pure is washing the white linen, washing the sin, which is the dirt from the white linen. So there's two parts here. There's purchasing the gown, and then there is um, keeping it white and pure. And you keep it bright and pure by washing sin from your life. Those people who are gowned in this way become the bride of Christ. The rest are all merely wedding guests. So what does that mean to you? Um, what does it mean to be a guest at a wedding or part of the bride? Remember, the New Testament is full of scriptures saying, uh, finish the race, store up your treasures in heaven. What we do here on earth, really, it organizes our heavenly experience. It matters. What you're able to do in heaven depends upon what you do on earth. Our actions, or lack thereof, have eternal consequences. This life is very short compared to the eternity we'll have in heaven. So we must be about our Lord's work while there's time. Now, many people are confused by the term bride because we see bride as women. And they're like, what? I become a woman when I get to heaven? I'm going to be a bride. <laughs> you know, so some people get a little confused by that. So we'll let's clarify that now. In the Bible, the term bride refers to cities and even people groups. Um, the reason why it is bride, it's because we become tied to Jesus and a part of. He is our heavenly husband-to-be. This means what, what happens between your husband and a king, right? If you have a husband, then you have intimate access. You can have private meetings with him. You, you have... A, more of his power flowing through you too, because he's your husband. If he's just your king, 
You have to petition to see him. You have to ask for an audience. It has to be granted. So there is a big difference between being the bride and being a guest in heaven. What would you do to have direct access to the leader of your nation? Well, this is going to be for all eternity. And it's going to be so much better in heaven. Also, we are seen as the bride because Jesus is the husband. And according to God's system, right, even here on earth, wives, you're subject to your husbands. They are your head. Jesus is our head. So even though Jesus's power and anointing and everything flow through us, in, even in heaven, it continues. We have must always remember we are subor subordinate to him. He is always our head. He is always in charge of us, even in heaven. The bride will be royalty. And have direct access to God and the throne. Others will have to wait to be called. I refer to this as the difference between being a noble here on earth and being a peasant. So those who are guests may be more like that status. But in the end, isn't it better to be a peasant in heaven than a king in hell? But you, you have an opportunity to be royalty in heaven. It is your choice. Will you learn God's ways? Will you apply them to your life? Will you, are you willing to find out what he created you to do? I guarantee it'll be the best thing ever. You will enjoy it. Once you begin developing a true relationship with Jesus, your life will become better, richer, fuller each step of the way. I know you might be scared of the things you have to remove because you do have to make a choice. There will be things you have to say no to in the world. We have to be holy unto him, separate. We have to do things his way. But, oh, you will have such peace, such joy. You won't miss it. Once it's gone, trust me in that. You will not miss it. We're not one bit. John 10, 10 says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I come that they might have life and have it abundantly. That's life here as well as in heaven. I hope you make the choice soon that you began purchasing your wedding gown. You begin making it white by removing sin. If we can help in any way, Agape Christian Fellowship has a free academy. Free school to take you step-by-step, step, learning more about him. Courts of Heaven Academy, I hope to see you there. I hope to see you in heaven. Until then, may God bless you and keep you. Amy, do we have questions here? Is it biblical that you could go into the courts and call for some names you think are in heaven to step forward to testify? No, I would not do that basically because that is ancestral worship. It's, it's, it's crossing the line. You're consulting the spirits of the dead. And so I would never, ever um, ask to talk to anyone from this earth on my own because that puts you in danger of consulting spirits, consulting those who are not alive on earth but are alive in the spiritual realm. So in, in the courts of heaven, I only talk to Jesus, my advocate, Holy Spirit, and God, the judge. I don't address anyone else um, because that's I'm not consulting any spirits other than them. I leave that up to the Lord. He is my advocate. He will call to account whatever needs to be done. I hope that makes that very clear because we don't want to lead anybody down that wrong road. Okay, now that's all the questions I see. Excellent. Oh, that is our meeting for today. It was a heavy, heavy one. Thank you for all being patient and being here. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for the wisdom that you have revealed through your son and through your spirit. I place each person here today into your hands. 
all wisdom, Father, comes from you. Holy Spirit, if I have missed it in any way, I ask that you forgive me and restore to me right and godly wisdom. And for those gathered, grant them godly wisdom. You know the truth. You know the wisdom and the things of God. So I thank you for bringing them the wisdom that they need today. You are the true teacher and the guide. In the name of Yeshua HaMashiach, amen. Until next week, shalom.